Welcome to Deer Talk Now. I'm Brad Rooks, and with us is Philip Vanderpool. A lot of guys know you back from the old HS days, and now you're doing the virtue. But give us a little background, Philip, on yourself. Well, you know, I worked several years with Hunter Specialties there and, uh, you know, was kind of in charge of the camera video equipment, but also hunted in front of the camera. I was kind of the guy that wore two hats, if you will. And, uh, you know, when HS sold, it was time to, to move on and, and go out on my own. And I've been doing that for the last 10 years or so and been doing a vid- digital platform with the Virtue and then also, you know, with tv as well and uh you know just been blessed with a great incredible hunting career i've videoed so many different folks over the years from country music singers to all the top-notch people in the hunting industry and then also i've been blessed to take a lot of big deer and turkey and elk and just you know my goodness the good lord's put me in the right spots at the right time well and you're a good hunter but what did you do before hs i mean what was your background then well, uh, I was basically, uh, I've always been doing the video thing and trying to get my foot in the door. But uh, um, before that, I was in electronics for several years with Curtis Mathis Electronics. And that's what i done. And that's kind of how I got started with the video cameras. Back with the old VHS that actually, the old top loader that I put on my back, the camera plugged into it. That's how long that's been. And that was back in the late 70s, you know. So, yeah, it's it's been quite a ride. I've seen a lot of changes over the years, for sure. Oh, my gosh. that That is going back. Man, you've seen all the cameras from the giant ones all the way down, down to where we are now, right? Right. Beta cams, putting the bricks around your, you know, around your waist and, and following Wayne Carlton in the Elkwoods with that. <laughs> you know, with a tripod and a beta cam, a camera, you know. And then, of course, we graduated to, to when we graduated to the DV cams, you know, that kind of changed everything when we went to the digital platform, basically. And uh, and then the DV cams, it's it's been quite a ride, buddy. It nice. really has. Nice. Now, I, I know you do deer, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but we just got done with turkey season. So how'd it go for you? Well, it went rent went real well for us um i uh, i went with the i followed mike and his son isaac he's 16 and uh, then we wanted to get the double royal grand slam and we traveled all over even went to old mexico and montana and everything and we got him the double royal grand slam plus i did my hunts as well so it was a busy busy season uh and we started you know early march and went all the way through the end of may now, so it was it was incredible. Now tell it really was. tell everybody what a double royal is so that they understand. A double royal grand slam is taking the five subspecies. Basically, you're taking the ghouls in Old Mexico, which that's the only basically the only place you can get them. And then we have the Merriams out west in Montana that we hunted, and then we have the Easterns, which is the most common most guys hunt. But then the Rios. And, and then if you go to Florida, the only place you can get is the Osceola turkey. Yeah. And uh, he actually got two of each one. So when I say double, that was two of each one, which equal 10. And we actually, I actually videoed him taking 13 gobblers. Oh my gosh. Himself at a 16 year old kid. And it, that's, uh, I don't know, uh, 
Woodhaven uh, is my Pentecost is Helms Woodhaven Turkey Calls, and that's who I went with, and and I do a lot of stuff with those guys. They're a great bunch of people. Yeah, Mark absolutely. And that whole group, yeah. And they got one of the best turkey calls in the industry. So, I mean, it's a good group to be with. In my opinion, yeah. Uh, I agree. I agree. I run one of theirs, or I use the old Blodgett call, and Harry doesn't even produce calls anymore. And that's one of my favorites. I got a slate that I absolutely love from him, too. But Yes, sir. And Harry and I are big buddies. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Well, Harry's a big buddy with us all, right? I mean, he's been in the industry a long time. The one thing I want to mention about turkeys, okay, so so it's take season, right? And I know who your sponsor is, so I'm going to let you talk a little bit about a Limitic. Well, I'm going to tell you, you know, I've been using a Limitic – uh, with game hide products and what people don't understand is a limitic keeps the ticks and chiggers and even the mosquitoes down to a level except for the exposed areas but you know just just to give you an example i never got one single tick on me this year until i was here at home and didn't have the game hide limitic clothing on it's it's the most amazing product i've ever used i use it early season bow season turkey uh turkey season anytime i'm out and i'm doing things i'm hanging tree stands in the summertime or putting ground blinds out putting mineral whatever you're doing and it's it's a lightweight material but it's i guess it's basically infused in in the clothing correct and it's it's amazing i the best product i've ever used by far i I can't tell you and anybody's worried about ticks and chiggers, I would highly, highly recommend it. And then the best thing is, it's very affordable. I agree for what it what it brings to the table. So, no question. So, so another advantage is, like you just mentioned, you're out doing trail cameras, right? And you you guys have the no CMs yes. and all that other stuff that can get on you. You wear those pants in the woods, and you don't have to worry about it. They do not get on I, you. Well, and, 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 you know, if you really want to be thorough, they, they make gloves, they make face masks, they make shirts, and then also socks. And it, like I say, I, I, I can't imagine not ever not wearing it because it has protected me. It doesn't seem to have a big odor or anything to, uh, to mess up your deer hunt, yep. you know, especially on those mature deer, um, I can't, I can't say enough about it. I, 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 when I go, I do these hunt camps all over the country. And that's the, one of the things that I talk about thoroughly is because tick fever and all these <laughs> anymore, it just seems like it's more popular than ever. Does oh. it not, not Brad? Oh, absolutely. You know we got, we're out of Wisconsin, right? You wouldn't think you'd have to worry about limes. I got a dog that got limes already in February. So think about that. I mean, like it's in the winter, but we had a warm winter Ticks came back yeah. out one of those warm days in February. Wow. She got bit and literally got limes in February. So that just shows you, you, uh, you know, any time. But we, I, we, I, go ahead. I got one great story about a limitic. So so when they first came out with it, when Game Hide had it, uh, Dave sent me an outfit and I'm wearing it. And we, yeah. we went over on the neighbors and I got my son. He's Lily. He's probably like 10 at the time. And we went back and we, we got in this area and we had to sit there because it's where they were coming back in a roost. And the ticks were just insane. And you could literally watch them hit my pants and run off. And I looked at him and he had one already pinned on his forehead. They're crawling all yeah. over him. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. This stuff really yes. is as good as what it said. And once you see it, you believe it. I mean, it, it's one of those deals. So Yeah, I was out in Kansas uh, this last spring, and, and Donovan and I were out there uh, turkey hunting, and we were, of course, in some tall weeds and this and that, gomming around there looking for some sheds. That's midday, you know. 
And he got to looking, and he was literally, I mean, literally covered up with ticks. I mean, all over him. I mean, on his legs, everything, and he was flipping out. He didn't have the game hide on, and he knows what game hide does do. because he's got. Yes, he he's got game hide. It's just one of these trips he did not have it on. And he said right then, he said, "Man, he said, I he said I'm the biggest fool ever was. I never got a tick, a chick, or anything." Right. And then when I was in Montana, I'll tell you another crazy little quick story on it. I sat down in an ant bed. We were calling to these turkeys and you know how you just running and gunning and yep. setting up and i sat down right in a pile of red ants and i mean i was i could not believe it but they would get on my clothing go down there and then they would jump off it was unbelievable i never got bit wow. and it was i had to sit there for over an hour right in this ant bed and that that, that showed me something else about a limitic <laughs> No. You know, especially people like down in like Texas, place like that, Oklahoma, where oh, yeah. they're really bad. You know? Yeah, any but kind this, of insect. This actually happened. We wear, I wear their hat, so up here the deer flies get really bad, right, during food plot season, which is now Absolutely. through July. You wear that Olympic hat, and they don't really bother you. They don't land on you. It keeps them all the way off, so it's the best thing. My I, other I method my other method is wear a straw cap and you put a sticker up on the highest point and they stick to it and they all die. But I, I'd much rather look cool and wear the Limitech hat. So that, that's what I, I it agree. Is. I totally well, agree. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about whitetail. So, so I have two of my favorite hunts, and I'm going to let you talk about them. One is when you're hunting on the Skronsky farm, right, when he took over took over from Kiskies, right, and you killed an absolute giant with double drop tines. Super cool. Well, there. and it's funny. Now, I stayed with Ron there, but I actually shot that on Steve, Steve Snow's property. Oh, no way, really? That, uh, yes, uh, that was actually, and it's over there by the public ground. And uh, Steve's got that property on J20 over there. You know where it's at. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that, of course, we we didn't even know that particular buck was in the area. And, and it was October the 25th. I had my first encounter over there. We had spent a bunch of time in the summer because Steve had just purchased the property. And and I was staying with Ron. I was hunting Ron's property at, at the same time. Well, on the 23rd of October, I videoed Steve shooting a giant on this property, on his property, but it was on the other end of the property. And uh, he had that, that made two 200-class whitetails that Steve took that year. Oh, my just gosh. Just to give you an off this off this new property now, mind you. And... So I'm hunting, and uh, I'd filmed him, I think that was on the 23rd of October. Well, the 25th, the wind was right, new setup. We went in there where we had hung back in the summer. And I, of course, I love decoying and rattling, and I rattled. It was up in the morning, and lo and behold, a double drop time come in, but I could not get a shot at this deer. And I was just sick. We had the encounter, and so we waited. I think it was four more days later. It was on a Sunday. On October the 29th, I walked in. I had Josh Wright as a cameraman. We walked into another set, and I, I, I never dreamed that it would happen like it did, but it's probably a half mile, maybe three-quarters of a mile in there. We're up on top of this high ridge. We're trying to get, catch the bucks. We knew they were cruising down in the food sources down in the bottom and then coming up there uh, on the ridges to bed. Yeah. And uh, first rattling sequence I did, I rattled that double drop tine in, and lo and behold, I got an arrow. And 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 right there, that that's my career buck. And it's to this day, I'll never, 
I'll never top that particular deer. And that was my first 200 inch whitetail. I mean, he's, he's a gross 200 inch deer. And, uh, you know, that, that was on prime time bucks 11. It was on the front cover. And that, that really put me on the map as a bow hunter. Nice. And I took him with my bow, rattled and grunted him up. And he was, he was a very aggressive deer. We figured he probably was at least five and a half, maybe six and a half years old. And uh, he grossed out, I think, at 201 and some change. Just, uh, just that was, like I say, my first 200-inch deer. Which is super cool. And he's super typical looking other than the big drops, right? I mean, he is super yeah, typical yeah. looking. And the crazy thing, Brad, he don't have a tine over 10 inches long. He doesn't have the main time length, but his main beams are crazy. <laughs> one of them, I think it was 28 and some change. The other one is right at 29 inches yeah, on well, the main beams. They just wrap around real tight and then have a nine and a half inch double drops over there. And he's got a third drop about, oh, three, four, I think three and a half, four inches. I can't even remember the, you know, the length of them. But yeah, that, uh, I'll never top that hunt. That was, that was on my mother's birthday, by the way. Oh my God. Well. That makes it even more special, right? Yeah, and she was fighting cancer at the time, so it was a very emotional hunt for me as well. You wow. Know? What kind yeah. of tips do you yeah. got for so, – so you said, you know, you love to rattle, love to use decoys. Give, give the listeners some tips, especially on decoying. Decoying, you know, for me, I think, guys, the, the main thing, if I had to tell somebody, don't set decoys up in real tight spaces because all deer are a little bit different. Uh, they may, uh, when you rattle, they may come in, but they may be a little bit more timid and uh, some of them, and then, then you're gonna have some at the right time. He comes in aggressive. It, it's like he don't care about the wind. He's coming to that buck to kick some butt. And the one thing I'd have to say is, you know, try to set it up with visibility where they can see it and size it up and come in. And I like to leave a space between me and the decoy if I can to where they'll come in. If he's very aggressive, he'll come into the head. If he's timid, it seems like they always want to come into the tail end and get a smell. But once you see that buck locked on, get that bow drawn because a lot of times they may not stop. You may just have to scream at them to get them to stop but wait on your shot you're going to get that shot and even if they come up and spook nine times out of ten they'll run out there three or four or five steps hops turn around and look back and there's your there's your shot if if it happens that way i, I can't tell you how many times i've had that particular scenario happen to where he comes in he may get a little bit of something or he gets up and he decides he don't don't want to fight and he may just take three or four bounces out there but he usually will always turn around and look back at the decoy or even if i've, I've had him to come in and hit the decoy smash it and then spook and run out there and stop and turn around if you got that bow drawn you know there's your opportunity because it's usually a broadside or a quarter and away shot for you yeah and take the first good shot you get right i mean i should have took my own advice last year in kansas i didn't i wanted to get that pretty footage of him swinging around and coming in man we, we're going to call the show decoy me not because we had three of them that decoyed all were shooters and we didn't kill a one you know and i mean so i should have took my own advice which way do you like to face your buck decoy well i've kind of I, I play the wind obviously because normally if you you know you're not always going to get one that's going to drop his guard and come in. So I always play the wind with it yep. and face the head. I try to face the head kind of toward me. But, you know, Brad, I've tried it. 
I, I, in all honesty, I'm looking back, I've tried it both ways. And, I, you know, honestly, I think there's – are you still there? I lost yeah. your picture. Yep, I'm still here. Okay. Okay, I just – I lost – I don't have a picture there. Okay. Well, anyway, um, when you set up your decoy, I don't know that it matters, but more – I would say overall – more deer will come to the tail end of the decoy as opposed to the, the head because they're not all they they more than anything i think they're curious they want to see who the new guy is on the block and i feel like i say the majority of them will come to the tail end as opposed to the front end but now you're going to have some of them bucks and he may not be the biggest rack buck in the area but he's got that attitude and he comes in he's going to come to that head so i mean there again, I know this sounds crazy, but I look at the scenario of of the terrain on how I'm going to face that decoy, and I always face it to where because they're going to try to get downwind nine out of ten. Correct. Times. So face it to where they can come in between you if you can to front side. So I don't know that it it makes a lot of difference. And what I'm trying to say, I love the head facing me if i can get that aggressive buck and i've got one on trail camera that i think really has an attitude sure i'm going to face the, the head toward me where he's going to have to come in that's going to give you a broadside or a quarter in the way shot if you will but even if you face the tail to you and you got the wind in your face there i don't think it i don't think it matters a whole lot which way you face it as much as you think it does i think it's all about how he comes in, if he's got that attitude and how he's going to approach the decoy, whether he's going to come to the head yep. or come to the tail end of it. I agree. So, so if you, you have a, a buck that's out of, you know, a distance away, say he's 200 yards, he hasn't really saw the decoy. Do you like to rattle? Or are you going to try to grunt first? What do you do? Well, the first thing, I mean, obviously if he's 200 yards, uh, Woodhaven's grunt call is really loud, and I can reach out there with it. I, I probably will try that first, Brad, to get his attention to kind of see what he's going to do. If I can't get it, I'll snort wheeze. And normally, if he's got an attitude, he's going to come to the snort wheeze. I, I, that's that's kind of a closer, if you will. But it, if I've got my antlers handy, and I don't think he's going to – when you got to remember, when you're 200 yards out there and you're rattling – you're almost eye level with that deer. He, you got to watch your moving, you yeah. know, just to make sure. But if you can get his attention, click, click, click with the antlers and him lock on nine times out of 10. If he's got any attitude or curiosity to him and all, he's going to come and check out the competition. Yeah. And I've, I've done that before and, and had him to just take tail and run. You can't, it's, it's like calling or doing anything else. It don't work every time, but when it does, buddy, the adrenaline that <laughs> runs through your body at that time when he's running at a dead run to that decoy and he gets up there, there is not a feeling in the world, anything like it. And, and That's the, why I love to do it so much. I agree. And the telltale sign is what? He starts licking his nose and and you know he's coming, right? I mean, like, as soon as you see him licking his nose, yeah, he, he's coming all the way in. It might He might walk. He might trot. He's coming. I don't care. He is going to come check that decoy out. Yeah. And that what the decoy does is just takes all the attention off you. Now, as he's coming in, if he starts to lose interest, that's that's a good time to maybe hit a grunt or maybe, you know, I use the storm ways most of the time as, a, as the last resort, if you will, just because if he's coming to the grunt, 
why do anything else if he's coming? Yeah. You know, I don't want to get his attention where he's looking around so much because now he's locked on the decoy. It's all about the visibility. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, of course, I use the DSD. Uh, the Dave yeah. Smith decoys just work so well for me. Well, know? they're so real and looking, right? Awesome. So, so right, they uh, got that new. You know, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, it, it, I, I like the snort. I like to hammer the horns if he's out there at 300 yards to get his attention. And, and even if you don't think he can hear it, the snort wee is just so everybody knows. It's just this, you know, it's just that exactly. sound. And, man, those deer hear that, and it's like they're they're getting challenged, right? That's what they're doing. The snort wheeze is a challenge, and those mature bucks are going to come. I mean, they're, they're going to check it out if they're in the mood to fight. So Yep. And, you know, uh, I, a decoy, a lot of times I've had does to come in, especially if a buck is following a doe and she gets too close to that decoy. A lot of times they can't stand it because they, you know, feel like that's competition to them and they'll come on over. And now what I would suggest on that is to have a doe bleat. Maybe if you can't get the buck to, to, you know, if he's with that doe during that peak of the rut, uh, have that doe bleat just to kind of give her, give her a little bit of curiosity. And a lot of times she'll come over that way just checking things out, and that buck will follow. And that, and once he gets into that bubble, you know, yeah, uh, he he will commit to the decoy. I've had that to happen a lot. So you know, make sure you got to bleat along with a good grunt call and your snort wheeze. No, you I, know, I know the calling is everything. I agree. Now I know some guys uh, will use a doe decoy as well, especially a bedded one. Are you one of those guys, or don't you use a doe? Well, I'm really, I'll tell you, uh, DSD is coming out with a doe decoy this year, and I haven't experienced a lot with the doe decoy, but what I have done is took my buck decoy, even though he's kind of postured up, I've turned the ears around and made him kind of like it and take the antlers off and make him like a doe decoy, and I've had a lot of luck. I've had does just come up and just check it out and, and be curious about it as well as the buck, so... I think, you know, a doe decoy overall, especially in the South, I think a doe decoy, and I'm really looking forward to using that doe decoy this fall because, I mean, I, I like to decoy anytime I can. And sure. I know I'm a lot different. I've killed, but I've, and, and I've shot bucks up into December in the Midwest, even like in Kansas during gun season, you know, it's, uh, and me bow hunting because it's, it was legal and, and you got to wear your orange, but you can still decoy. And I mean, obviously, you got to be careful and know where you're doing it, yep, and, and stuff like that. But man, there is, I'm telling you, there's nothing like decoying, rattling, and grunting. It's just, it the adrenaline rush that you get from it is is so much more than just having one to walk in, uh, you know. It, but you know, even rattling, you know, rattling one in and not using a decoy. Yeah, is awesome to me. Anytime I can call, you know, or do anything with, to make it happen to to pull them in. Yeah, I I agree. Yeah. And some deer, just so you guys know, like some some deer act like they're going to come all the way in. One, one deer in particular, I'll never forget it. We pulled him in off a a ridge in Illinois. He's coming right across. He's probably a mid fifties, and and uh, yeah. he he's literally commits. You know, I see him. You know, he, we hit the horns. He hears it. I snort wheeze, he turns, he's coming right down, he's licking his nose. I'm like, yes, he's going to come right in. Came right to the edge of the food plot, looked at our buck decoy, and turned around and went right up back up the hill like, no, I don't want to fight him. I'm going to let him go. 
And uh, so it doesn't work all the time, but it is cool to see. I mean, that's an image I'll never forget. I mean, it's great footage. It was great, you know, a great haunt. You know, it's one of those things that just lives on with your memory forever. So. Deer Talk Now is brought to you by Game Hide. At Game Hide, the philosophy is pretty simple. Design the best products with the best fabrics and features to help you be more successful in the field. While doing this, they strive to keep their pricing moderate to give you the best value in the hunting clothing industry. I wear the Elimitic line of clothing to keep those nasty ticks off of me, and I absolutely love it. Check them out at GameHide.com. Yeah, one of one of my worst memories, I guess, is Buckeye rattle. I mean, like it was November the 18th. The weather was crazy. It was spitting snow and cold, windy, and that's my favorite overall day to hunt kansas is november the 18th i've had so many I, I, I shot my big deer last year there on the 17th and i think the year before it was the 16th or 17th so it's always in that time period 16th, 17th, 18th 19th has been really good to me out there but on this particular occasion and obviously it's on video but i i mean there was six big bucks on one doe and they run they, they was running her all over the place on the neighbor's property and they run into this thicket and i just kept rattling and you know bang 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 had the decoy set out and uh obviously nothing and then all of a sudden i seen this giant buck running across the field and i hit the antlers and i mean i'm doing everything i can because it's so windy i'm just popping them you know loud as i can and he disappeared and we're sitting there and all of a sudden i mean he just comes up out of nowhere he had circled trying to get downwind comes up he sees the decoy and gets up there and brad he walks into my shooting lane i'm in a ground blind there and he walks right in front i'm drawing and i'm the pins right on him and then all of a sudden I look and I think, oh my gosh, I got to raise up because I'm going to hit the front of the blind with the arrow. And so I raised up because we're on a kind of a side hill a little bit and, and the blind was angled down and I thought, oh man. And about that time he took another step over in the other window and I don't know what I'd done. I, I couldn't tell you. I just, I think I just put all the pins on. I don't know. I can't tell you what I'd done, but I shot right over that rascal's back i got maybe three or four little hairs across top of his back and this is 180 plus inch deer oh my god it just literally i i guess that's one of the <laughs> a memory that always is instilled in my mind because I, I feel like i don't miss very often especially if i can get them you know that 30 yards and in yeah it's pretty much you I, know you got that confidence level but that one buddy left a mark uh, i'm just telling you yeah, but uh, it happens. But uh, I tell you, it's crazy. I've done a lot of crazy things too. Uh, my wife started hunting about five years ago, and boy, she has taken to it, and she loves to hunt with a crossbow. She can't draw a bow very well because of her back surgery. surgery. But she started hunting, and and she's sixty now, so you're never too old mm. to start hunting. But my goodness, has she taken to it? And this last year, she shot an incredible buck. I think Real Tree's going to use it on Monster Buck. Shot it with her crossbow. I videoed it, and it's the same place I shot a buck the year before, almost standing in the same identical place. Uh, so it's it's a special hunt. But uh, what I wanted to tell you about the one I shot, he had a big single drop time, and it's a buck I called Hoss. This was. Uh, the day before season, I mean, we're almost out of time. It's December the 30th. 
And I got up that morning, I said, I'm, I, and Rhonda was with me. I said, I'm going to stay in the blind all day. I'm going, if I need to, if he don't show up, because we're running out of time and we haven't had him in there in the daylight. And I said, uh, I'm just going to sit in the blind and spend the night and hunt all the next day if I need to. Well, lo and behold, I spent the night, but uh, I, uh, I'm going to tell you, I didn't have a heater and I literally about froze to death. It got down to like seven degrees. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to tell you, the only thing that saved me was Game Hide has this suit, kind of like, um, I don't know, it's insulated. You just put it on you. I'm trying to think of the name of it, and I'm, I'm having a brain fart. Excuse me. But <laughs> I wrapped up in that thing. It's the only thing that kept me from freezing to death because I stayed in there all that day, that night, the next day, it's December 31st, and the last hour, that buck walked in, and I shot that deer. He's a gross booner, and a deer I knew that was five and a half. But to all these guys out there, you know, they think it's easy because we, we you may get good places to hunt, and you're only going to kill a big deer if that deer exists, you Correct. know. So what I'm trying to say, whether it's on public land or private land, people don't realize that the time and effort that we put into this to video these few minutes that you get to watch, but all these hours, that was 36 hours I spent in that blind and never left it. And, uh, and how many guys are going like to do that? that? You know what I mean? Like how many guys are going to do that? Or you just, you know, how many guys are spending how many hours planting food plots? Right. I mean, yes. everybody watches footage from my personal farm and yeah, it, it's fantastic. Right. right? But uh, I'm spending yeah. weeks Weeks literally planting food plots, spraying food plots, you know, checking trail cameras. And that's what people can't appreciate because unless you're doing it and you know how much work you're putting in, you know, I agree. All, all we're showing are a lot of successful hunts, right? Or or a couple of the other bucks that we had interactions with. But really, some of those hunts, you're hunting six, seven, eight days before you even get a crack, if at all, right? Sometimes you got to go back to that state. Absolutely. And I, and that happens a lot because, you know, you're, you're trying to get good footage for people, not, not just to entertain, but to inform and educate them as well. You know, that's what, that is what our job is. And if I can help somebody, what it's took me years to learn, if I can help, especially our younger generation, uh, to make it a little bit better, that's what I want to do. So it's, and, and I may not, I may have passed a deer that's bigger than what I end up shooting because this deer may have an older, uh, you know, mo older structure. He may be older, and it may be a situation where the hunt is so much better to inform and educate from and yeah. entertain. Yeah. So, you know, you got to look at everything that we've done over the years, Brad, and, and, and I've been blessed. I mean, to meet, you know, I may get, I don't want to say this wrong, but I may get a lot of the credit for all these big deer and stuff that I've shot, but there's a lot of other people involved Correct. that have helped me. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, And absolutely. you're talking about food. You know, you're talking about food plots and all the preparation. I do most all this stuff by hand, Brad. I, it's crazy. I use an old weed whip to beat the weeds and stuff down. I don't use the electric stuff or gas or anything. I use the old it's it's uh it's more work but it's more enjoyable for me like i say i clear out the shooting lanes or maybe i you know i use the weed whip to make mock scrapes with i use it to clear out 
so I can put my trail camera up, the weeds and things like that. But it's what you get out of a hunt, and it makes it so much more gratifying when you when you do shoot a, a, a hit lister or a deer that you have history with, right? Correct. And literally, even if he doesn't show up and I got 20 deer, you know, immature bucks and does in my food plot, man, I just got a smile on my face. You know what I mean? Because like, they're my food plot for a reason. It just makes you feel good. Well, I tell you, you know, here where I live, I live right here in the Ozark Mountains here in Arkansas, and uh, I'm just south of Missouri, Branson, Missouri, uh, about 30 miles or so. But where I live here, you can't hardly get anything to grow. It's so rocky and hilly and mountainous, if you will, and it's tough to get anything to grow. But, you know, if you can take the time and you get a little bit of food plot in there and stuff, it, it makes a lot of difference because these deer have to live on mass crops, Sure, you know, and I, and, and back in 2018, and we've been hit real hard with CWD in my area here. That's I mean, it's, it's bad. It's about wiped our deer herd out. It's, it's incredible how the amount of deer has just totally gone. Um, and, and, you know, we're in Arkansas is trying to do a good job, obviously, of getting things back. But, you know, the food plots is what I've really went to because of that and trying to get our deer even more healthy Healthier. and stuff. And I haven't taken a deer here since 2018. But the last deer I shot here, right here at home, um, a deer I had a lot of history with, I called Obsession. And he's a typical frame deer. And we don't have deer like this. But he was a 185-inch deer that I self-videoed. It took me years to catch up with him. Uh, they're so nocturnal. But uh, I'm just letting people know that by through trail cameras and trying to do good management, putting food plots in. And when you can feed, I, I have no problem with people using feed as long as it's legal. I don't care. Mineral, anything you can do to, to help your deer herd. But... Uh, you know, you're going to get out of something what you put into it, Brad. I agree. And it's going to make you appreciate it that much more. Yeah. It, and it, that's it. what I love doing. This episode is also brought to you by Mossberg. Mossberg has been supplying American hunters with quality firearms for over 100 years. Over the years, they've upheld their commitment to innovation by creating a handful of firearms that have shaped the way we hunt today. For more information, visit Mossberg.com. Give the you people know. that story of, of the obsession because, honestly, it's my other buck that I was going to bring up because your area is not known for big deer. You know what I mean? Like, nope. and, and you had this deer over years, and, and he even the year you shot him, he kind of blew up because he was a big eight, right? I mean, from his sheds. He was a mainframe eight, Brad. His whole – that every year that I had trail cameras, I know it – I. And I can't say, I know for sure he's at least six and a half and maybe maybe older than that. His teeth was wore down pretty bad. And uh, I feel like the food plot is really what got him in the area because people, he was, he was a roamer because there was people had trail. And I didn't find a lot of this out until I actually shot the deer. <laughs> That's because like people were getting them on trail cameras, you know? Yeah. Everybody gets the bigger the deer. Blow. The bigger the deer, the less people say about it, right? Going to talk about it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And a deer like that in our area, I, uh, I, I mean, it just he he must have had uh, six eight miles range there because people were getting him on camera near near town of Harrison where I lived, and all the way out here at the foot of the mountain and back in here, and uh, 
and everything that everybody was getting was nocturnal. And I, li- I literally got him in, in August, that first year that where he really blew up. That was the year I, I was just so flipped out about him because he was a mainframe eight. But, and I don't know, because I didn't find that year's sheds. The sheds before, I found both sides, and it was about 155-inch eight point. I figured he was at least four and a half then, at least that age. So the next year, at five and a half, six and a half, he didn't have that big bulky body. We don't have that Midwest look in our whitetails here normally. They're, you know, pretty, this guy was pretty thin and long and lanky, and I got him on that trail camera and i'll never forget it when i played that because he walked through there he just didn't even look real brad his rack just dwarfed his body and i think i know i i can't say for sure but i honestly believe that he was 170 inch eight point i mean he his tines were just incredible that year they were longer than than the year i took him and then the, and I, that was in 2017 2018 he blew up, and uh, I only had one trail camera, and I had 25 cameras on a 123-acre <laughs> piece of property. I had 25 trail cameras, and I had one picture, and it was on, I believe, July 10th, and I never saw him again. I thought, man, something's happened to him. It's, it's, you know, And he wasn't one that was showing up very often anyway. About once a month, he'd surprise you, and he'd come up and show up. But when I put that food plot in and stuff, it was in September. I think I was in uh, Nebraska hunting, and it was like September 14th. In the daylight, there he was right in my tree stand. You could see it in the background in the trail camera picture. And that's the same stand that I ended up shooting him out of. But then he walked through there, and it was in the morning. I don't know if he'd been bumped or what, but he walked through. You could tell he was walking pretty fast. But then I realized he's still there. And, man, I tell you, I, I dedicated my – I said, man, I'm going to spend every day I possibly can tiptoeing around, playing the wind, doing everything right, and see if I can't make something happen. And I didn't want a camera, man. I'm, I'm like, I'm going to self-video because I'm going to keep sure. minimize my scent, everything I can do. And it was October the 20th. And true story, Brad, I'm sitting in the stand. It's the first day of muzzleloader season. I'm dressed in orange because, and I got in there two hours before daylight. I got in there in that stand and I I sat all day. But I met another vehicle going in that morning and uh, I thought, boy, somebody else, they're in here awful early. This is two hours before daylight, and I met another vehicle, and I, and I could tell they had orange on. I thought, oh, boy, somebody knows he's here in close. There, yeah. well, anyway, I got in the stand, and, I mean, it was an all-day set. I mean, I never even took anything with me other than water. Um, I didn't want to eat, make any noise or whatever, and I sat there at this pinch point in this field, and that's where I've been getting the trail camera pictures of him. And so – Right there, I'm sitting there, and I mean, it wasn't just a little bit. I heard a muzzle, <clears throat> and I'm hunting with a bow, and I thought, oh, my gosh. And it was just up on the ridge above me there, even closer to my house, because this is less than a mile from my house. And I'm like, oh, I just I, I had a sick feeling there. So I sat there, and I had my grunt call, and I sat there for a few minutes, and I'm just like, man, we're down to prime time. This is the first day of muzzleloader season. So I grabbed my 
I grabbed my grunt call and and I can't tell you for sure that it, that's what done it, but I just done me a little grunt sequence, just just kind of like you know, and I just hung it back up and I sat there and I said a little prayer. I said, Lord, give me an opportunity here. I said my prayer, and lo and behold, I looked. I seen a little bit of movement, and that buck stepped out there. And keep in mind, I'm self videoing. And I knew I wanted to milk the footage, Brad, you know, but I knew this was the one and only time that I'm going to get a chance of seeing this guy in the daylight and having him in front front of me. It was, it was magical. I, I don't know how else to say it. It was truly magical. And he was quartering away there. And I ran that arrow up in him as he, come in and he was quartering away i ran it up in him and i don't know brad to this day that the the arrow went into the lungs and stuff there but it dropped him in his tracks right there it literally dropped him in his tracks but i think it was at such an angle that it hit that maybe kind of glance off the hip but run up in right in behind the rib cage and right up in there perfect but he just boom and i can't tell you my emotion uh, i i mean i couldn't even it, I couldn't even believe it. I mean, this was like, this deer was like a ghost. He, he's like he didn't even exist, but yet I get all these trail camera pictures and stuff of him. And so the trail camera not got me at, later on, the trail camera, I'm sitting in, in, in the tree there, and it got me standing up, coming to full draw, got him walking in frame, and then the next shot is him laying there in front of the camera. So I got three trail camera pictures there. Well, Rhonda is sitting up at the house, and I wanted her to hunt him because she's the reason that she started hunting was because she was checking trail cameras when I was on the road and stuff, and she got involved and started loving the trail cameras to see what was on there. And she wouldn't hunt him. She said, no, I, I don't deserve that deer. And so long story short, I, I, uh, I was sitting there, I get a phone call from her. She said, did you just shoot a buck? <laughs> and I said, yes, darling. I said, how'd you know? I, Cause I thought she heard me screaming from the house. I thought maybe she was outside and just heard me scream real loud or something. Cause I hooped and hollered and prayed and thank the good Lord, you know? And, and I said, how did you know? She, I said, I just took obsession. She said, what? She said, there's a deer laying right in front of the trail camera. It just went off. And it was on her phone. And it went off. And and I told her I shot Obsession. She says, I'll be right there. So her and my granddaughter come down there. And, and it'll be a moment I'll never forget. Because, I mean, this deer's frame. He, if he had mass, if, if he had the mass like the Midwest deer, He's got 30, I think 37 inches of mass, but I had Harvey score him, a buddy of mine who's a Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young and Buckmasters and all that score. And Harvey scored that deer and grossed him out at 184 and 5 eighths, I believe it was. Uh, and this is a mainframe 10 point. He went from, from being a eight point his whole life to a 10 point. And for whatever reason, I don't know. Now his time length, I don't think was as long as it was the year before as a mainframe eight, but obviously with those extra two big tines on there, it made a lot of difference in, you oh, know, yeah. Another in man's circumference. Yeah. But. Yeah. Just, yeah. Right. I, I just, 
I, I can't say enough about him. I don't know if it's something. I, I mean, I've got him right in there on a pedestal mount. He's something to see. I, it is. I have to say, I'm. He is yeah. super cool. I, I, I was blessed. I mean, just for an Arkansas Ozark Mountain deer, uh, you know, right here at home like that. And Brad, the coolest thing about it is I shot my very first Pope and Young on that same piece of property about 50 yards in that timber from where he came from. Oh my he gosh. walked right by the tree that I took my first Pope and Young deer from. The only reason I didn't hang a stand in there is I somebody had stolen my tree stand years ago. But my steps are still in the tree, the old tree steps, Screwing. and the trees just—it's—it's it's a little iffy. I didn't want to, didn't want to chance it because it looked like it, it is. I think it's pretty much dead, yep. if you will. But uh, it's very special. That was in 1991. I shot a lot of deer. Don't get me wrong. We, you know, over the years before that, but that was my first big deer that I took, and I actually won the Arkansas Big Buck Classic in 1990 with the first deer that I took. Oh, nice! And when I entered it, and then I won it again the next year. So that place has been very good to me. Wow! <laughs> and so, so, so yeah, just you know. I'm going to leave you with one more thing. So I, I know back in the day, you used to hunt on a lot of public ground, correct? Oh, uh, that's all I ever did and cut my teeth on. So what state's your favorite one? If you, you're you a hunter, you know, from wherever, PA, and, and I want to go out to the Midwest and hunt on public ground, which state would you pick? Well, I think right now it kind of would be a toss-up. There, there's some really and, – and I've shot big deer. Like, say, for instance, Iowa. I shot a, a booner off the ground, rattled him up with a bow because all my, my deer that I've got down there has been taken with a bow that I've got mounted. And I think I've got, I've got nearly a hundred mounts now, Brad. Jeez. I've been blessed. I mean, you know, and I've got 11 that actually will gross over 170 that I've taken with a bow, two over 200. Wow. And it's it's the good lord has really blessed me and i give him all the glory for that but if you're you're looking to go to public land you know hidden states like nebraska is a really good state to shoot up they, they've got a lot of good public ground and and you can buy your tag over the, the counter, counter. Um, yeah. missouri is another state that you know has big deer uh and has quite a few public and their places they they put food plots and stuff in. Uh, Missouri can be pretty darn good. Uh, Illinois, Iowa, Iowa is limited on public ground. That's the only thing. You know, you're if you're looking for bigger areas, Kansas has got a lot of walk-in area. You know, um, that can be a good place. But I mean, I think what you have to do is obviously, you know, now we've got Onyx or Hunt Stand or whatever that we can go and see what the public grounds are. My suggestion to that is is look at your food sources on your private ground and maybe try to get close to that because more than likely the deer are betting on the public ground. That's what, what you have to learn. That's what I did in, in Iowa years ago, uh, one that I rattled in up there off the ground and I ended up shooting him. Um, but what I would do, I would get, on these public ground areas, I would go to the high part of the ridge, uh, say there's a big draw that comes up, and I would get at the top of that because that way I can get bucks coming from either side, and I can use that draw uh, to kind of bring them around, if you will, in front of me there where I could get a shot. And, man, I tell you what, the first year 
No, it wasn't, wasn't the first year. Let me back up here. But I would say this was um, after Iowa opened it up to the public. This was back in the 90s. 90s, yep. When I was doing some of this. I rattled in in a two-week period up there, and I think just a fraction over two weeks, 103 bucks on public ground. None of them, all of them were shooters. Yeah. But that's what I was doing is covering all the ground that I could cover. I'd walk from one, I'd stay high, get the wind right, and then get at the head of those draws and just, and doing this all off the ground. I wasn't have a tree stand or nothing. I was doing it off the ground. And it was the most amazing. That's how I learned just how effective rattling and calling was. And granted, a lot of these deer were a year and a half, two and a half year old, but buddy, don't think it. When you hear them leaves and them bucks running up <laughs> through there, don't think it, don't get the old, the old heart <laughs> racing up there pretty good. But it's just little things like that, Brad. Uh, you know, I, cutting my teeth on public ground, that's what I did here at home. My dad raised me up. That's all we did is, is hunt on public ground. I'm starting to get back in. CVA has become a, a real close sponsor, partner of mine, and, and I'm starting to get in, going back to my roots. I want to get back in and, and, and take my grandkids, my grand, I got girl, girl girls, but I want to take them and introduce them to what I was raised up around. You know, it, I love bow hunting. It's my, my passion more than anything, but I still, I took a good buck last year with a muzzleloader late season. And I'm going to tell you, Brad, it felt pretty darn good. Oh yeah. It really did. I, I got, I, I really got a lot out of it, both physically and mentally and just the whole aspect of it it was pretty fun uh it'll be interesting to see if you have the same uh uh, reaction when i started taking my kids right (laughs) i've killed a lot of good deer too and and i really don't get buck fever till after you shoot it right i mean that's when the excitement comes out you're almost overwhelmed when my kids are the hunters man i can feel my heart start just racing because you, you you know they have the chance of screwing up and you can't do anything about it and that's what buck fever is you know what i mean it's that fear of screwing up And man, my heart starts racing until that deer is dead when they kill it. Now, now I'm really excited, but it, it's it's oh, wow, it's all a strange feel. And you probably had that with Rhonda too, correct? I mean, when she got into oh, hunting, oh my gosh, I got when she shot her big dead last year. Us being together was the it was it was truly a moment that I'll never forget. Our our emotions were. I mean, he was a, a deer that I had a lot of history with. And I mean, the first time in we go in, we got two days left in December. December is really a good time to take a big deer if you got food. Sure. And, uh, you know, late season. And that's what we did. And uh, my goodness, uh, yeah, hunting with her is, is awesome. But I also, Brad, I take a lot of special needs kids. I take veterans. And, man, that is, in all honesty, it, that's what warms my heart and soothes my soul yes. is when I can do something like that, even more than if I shoot one. I love to hunt them, and don't get me wrong, but, man, when I see somebody else that enjoys it and gets a lot out of that hunt, man, it just – there's not a feeling like it when you can give back. And, and, uh, and the beauty you know, there is, like, not every hunt has to be successful, right? I mean, it's just getting those individuals out and seeing nature, seeing seeing four long beards strutting in front of you, just hammering their heads off and turning the other way. And the person turns around and looks at it and goes, that was the most awesome turkey hunt I've ever been in my life. And I'm like, yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, That's, that's, that's what you're looking for. Right I agree. There. And, you know, my oldest granddaughter, she's nine now, and she has taught me so much. When she was two, we 
I'll never forget it. When she's two years old, I, I got her in some, uh, uh, we put on some a limited clothing. It was too big for her, but I dressed her up and I said, we're going to go check some trail cameras and hold her hand and stuff. And, you know, Brad, she taught me, you know, so much because she's like, Papa, what's this? And what's that? She's like, I'd say, that's a deer track. And she said, what's that? And I'd say, it's a little roly poly. And that's an ant. And what's this? Well, that's a white oak tree. And that's, and I started teaching her, but she was teaching me, if you will, because she was asking these questions. So if you're taking someone new to hunting, make it entertaining for them. Give them a grunt call or a turkey call if you're in a ground blind or something. And don't take them on a a windy or a cold, cold, nasty day. Make it enjoyable that first time or two. I agree. And let them experience a good hunt. And let them, tell them that that's an owl hooting or that's a whippoorwheeler or that's a turkey goblin or, you know, hear that and see that that's a that's a cardinal or that's a you know a blue jay or just trying to make it enjoyable for them uh i've got to where every year i've got three grandbaby girls and um, they're they're five seven and nine and we i take all my shed antlers and that's what we do for easter sunday as i go hide the shed antlers and we go looking for the shed antlers. They love it. Nice. I give them prizes. Who finds the biggest one? I give them one for who finds the smallest and who finds the most. I try to make it interesting <laughs> for them. They love it, dude. I'm telling you. Oh, and idea. and usually I'll have to do it more than once. You know, hide them once, then I got to go do it again. <laughs> but it's that's what I try to do all I can to get them outdoors and do as much as I can to make it fun and inter- enjoyable because I, I love it. all they know nowadays is sitting in front of a darn phone or something. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Playing yeah. games. I think turkey hunts are, are made for new hunters, right? I mean, you, you hear them gobble, let's go after them, let's get after them. You get a gobbler that's responsive. Even if you don't kill them, it's going to be a good hunt. You're going to yeah. see them strut and you're yeah, going to see stuff, exactly you know. Right. So we always try to get a lot of new people doing that, so. And I'm going to try to make myself do even more of that next year. I, I told Mike, I said, Mike, I love running with you guys and stuff, but I got to go back to, uh, you know, I got to give back and I want to take, I've got some hunts I want to do with some special needs kids, like in wheelchairs and nice. things like that. That is the ultimate because a lot of these, I got a boy that hunts with me every year. It's got down syndrome and we, we, I'm telling you, they're special hunts, and he hunts with a crossbow, and we usually get at least one buck every year, and it's, it's a special time for me and him to spend. He's from Michigan, and they come all the way down, and we hunt Kansas or Missouri usually, and it's just, you know, just the little things like that is just, I can't tell you what it does for me. It makes me a better person, I'm telling you. I agree. You know, yeah. there that tells a lot about your human nature, Philip. I mean, I, I I could tell right right away the first time I met you, you were genuine. Yeah. You're one of those guys that that wants to do the right thing all the time. You know, and, and you're trying to spread the hunting knowledge, and you're one of those knowledgeable people that can really help the youth. You know, or or anybody that else hasn't really hunted. That's why we kind of wanted to get you on the show. I knew you're a big decoy guy, so I, I mean, I loved having you on here. This was the episode of Deer Talk Now. We had Philip Vanderpool on the show. Good luck this season, Philip. Hopefully you have another fantastic year and enjoy the fall. 
Thank you so much, Brad. I appreciate it. And you guys be blessed and uh, reach out to me anytime. And anybody has any questions or answers, I'm on Pursuit Channel. I'm on Carbon TV, uh, Hunt Channel. We do a lot of different stuff, YouTube, and uh, I'll help any way that I can. And everybody be safe. Good luck and God bless. Deer Talk Now is brought to you by 10 Point Crossbow Technologies. Whether I'm in a tree stand, ground blind, or spot and stalk hunting, I know the Nitro 505 is up to any challenge. Check one out at a dealer near you or log on to 10pointcrossbows.com for more information.